The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, well, welcome to Scorebox. Very big day for the markets. Uh, you're watching Scorebox with Karen Cho, my colleague, of course, and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. So U.S. producer prices growing at their fastest pace. Wait for it. Fastest pace on record. Um, sending Wall Street a tad lower uh, ahead of the key Fed decision today. The Bank of America CEO, though, telling CNBC it is time for monetary policy action. What the Fed looks at is, you know, is this a temporary thing in, in the sense that the stimulus gets spent and it reverts to normal? And what you're seeing is this is hanging on. So I think they know they, ha- they have to do their job. Chair Powell's been clear about it. In the meantime, raising the ceiling, U.S. lawmakers voting to hike the government's debt limit to $31.4 trillion, uh, sending the bill to President Biden's desk and avoiding a historic default. Chinese retail sales miss expectations in November as Beijing's zero-tolerance approach to COVID hits consumers, but industrial production tops forecasts. And the World Health Organization warns Omicron is spreading faster than any other variant, calling on countries around the world to take it seriously. We're concerned that people are dismissing Omicron Micron as mild. Surely, we have learned by now that we underestimate this virus at our peril. Uh, breakneck pace for that uh, PPI number stateside. So let's just dive into that first up. As uh, U.S. wholesale prices for November rose almost 10% on year. The latest print showing inflationary pressures continue to weigh on the U.S. economy ahead of today's Federal Reserve decision. It marks the highest rise in factory gate prices since going back to, to 2010, while core PPI, excluding food and energy, accelerated at its fastest pace since 2014. It follows last week's almost 7% annual surge in consumer prices. The latest CNBC Fed survey has found the market expects the central bank to double the speed of its taper program to $30 billion per month at the conclusion of its latest meeting today. That would see it bring forward the end of its bond buying program to March, opening the window for the first rate hike by June. Analysts expect a further five increases before the end of 2023, with the funds rate ultimately reaching 2.3% by 2024. Speaking to CNBC, Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan has said despite rising prices, increased consumer spending is continuing to drive the U.S. economy. It's always good if consumers are active because that helps drive the U.S. economy and it's part of why we are who we are as a society and a country. But if you really, just to put a perspective, uh, you have to think about the turn from 18 to 19 to 20 to 21. 18 to 19, it accelerated during the year but got about 10 percent higher than it was in 18. And so that was sort of your baseline. Pre-pandemic, economy growing at 2%. The f- it picked up from, say, 6% growth to 10% growth. Now, importantly, that's across all kinds of spending, mm-hmm. not just debit and credit cards. That's only about 25% but cash and checks and what people spend money on. It'll total $3.6 this year, to give you a sense. So it's a big number. 
Well, it's amazing, isn't it? We were told that people like me, we didn't know what we're talking about. We were told that it was all anecdotal. It was told that it was all about Omicron as well. It was all about food and energy. Well, how about that now? Because the Fed is officially retiring the word transitory, which some of us have been talking about for most of 2021, being a little bit of a question mark. We just raised the question. We didn't say it was definitely permanent. We didn't say it was definitely transitory. But now it appears it is not transitory, which I guess by definition means there is a degree of permanence about it. I know that those of you who are apologists for the, uh, the, 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 the very dovish policy out there are saying, well, it will abate at some side. We've, we've seen the peak of that. And I'm sure you're right. We can't have these kind of record levels on PPI and CPI uh, carry on, can we? Not when. The fact is, we said yesterday, uh, as John, one of my team, put together a load of stats, that said last time we had the kind of inflation levels we've got on CPI of 6.8%, let alone a near 10% handle on PPI, the last time we had that, we had double-digit interest rates in the United States. I think that's sobering, ladies and gentlemen. U.S. markets are performing incredibly well. Believe it what you think. I mean, this doesn't tell the full story. I've tried to explain that to you in recent sessions about how many stocks are in correction territory, how many stocks are in bear market territory. We're only 2.3% away from a record high on the S&P, but that doesn't tell the full story. Transports, which apparently many people think tells the true story of what's happening in the States. Russell 2K, other people said, this tells you what's really happening with medium-sized companies, with small companies. Both of those indices are already in correction territory. So don't just look at five big names. Don't just look at NVIDIA. Don't just look at Apple. Don't just look at Alphabet. Don't just look at Tesla. Don't just look at some of those names for telling you what's the true story because the breadth of this US market has never been narrower in terms of what is driving these moves on the big indices. I think these were really well behaved when you saw a PPI yesterday at 9.6%. Okay, that's a 12-month rolling figure as well. Oh, no, it's just food and energy. Well, okay, well, let's look at the core figure then. 7.7%. When inflation targets on a CPI basis in the US, in Japan, in Europe, in the UK is 2%. And we're getting 6.8% CPIs. We're getting core PPIs at 7.7%. Oh, it's just about the reopening. It's not just food and energy. Okay, it's used cars. That's a small problem with semiconductors and chips, yeah? What about travel expenses? What about uh, services? What about other transportation costs? What about other lodging costs as well? It's just transitory. Let's have a look at US big tech. It had a bit of a bad session, actually, compared with the uh, broader market. Of course, concerns about the future growth potential if rate goes up. You know the scenario now. Apple's down a meager 1.1%. Twitter down 0.56 as well. Where were the biggest declines? Microsoft, which is a, a terrific company. It's had a big run, but is it rightly priced? That's, no one's saying Microsoft isn't a fantastic company. We're just saying, where have you got your concentration of wealth? It's down 3.2% in session. Let's have a look at the banks as well. You know the form here. NIMS widened apparently on expectations. That's net interest margins. They expand on the expectations of uh, higher rates and what have you. Uh, so the banks were a, a, an area of green, and that was negating some of the losses we saw elsewhere. Morgan Stanley up 1.7%. Bank of America, we're hearing from the CEO there, 1.2% higher as well. Where's Goldman's? There it is, 1.1% higher there as well. Treasuries, I mean, these are stunningly benign as well. I mean, you look at the long end of the curve, there's absolutely zip going there. So what's that saying about the longer-term growth expectations compared with the shorter-term inflation expectations? Well, it's saying they're worried about growth if we're seeing a flattening off of the curve at the longer end as well. The 10 years, very stately, and I'll keep reminding you, in the spring of this year, we saw 176 
uh, on the 10-year paper. We are struggling to get near 150 at the moment, 1.43. The bond market is not telling you at the moment that there is going to be aggressive policy action. But you've got this SEP today. It's the dot plot. I think personally it's the most interesting thing. Yes, you're going to be interested at 1430 CET to what um, Jay Powell has to say. Yes, of course, you want to know if rates are going to move and you want a little bit on the taper. I think you look at the SEP, the summary of economic projections, the dot plot to see how many rate hikes now. So all of a sudden, we may well see in 2022. What are you money? Maybe that. Some of you are listening, not watching. Three. Okay, 1.227 on the five-year. Let's have a look at dollar crosses. A dollar did put on uh, 0.26 yesterday uh, on the pair there. I mean, look at this as well. You've got the, what is it, the IMF now warning the Bank of England, get on with it. And yet you've got Andrew Bailey terrified like the rest of us about what Omicron's doing to the economy. They were going to go last time around, weren't they? But they pulled the trigger back a little bit. 132.43. I'm told there's a bit of support action at 131.60, according to some of the latest copy I've been reading. Uh, and again, the euro really struggling to make any ground against the greenback. 112.71 as well. Brent and WTI have been, bre- I mean, brilliant volatility. If you are trading this on your gamma, well done you, because there's some great stuff. You had a 69 handle on your, your, um, your Brent last week when it plummeted there. Then it rallied 8% from its lows as well. Then Now we're back down to 73, having touched 76 a couple of sessions ago. You will be enjoying this volatility if you're trading that, but otherwise, um, and you've just taken an absolute position, it's hairy stuff at the moment, 72.87, and we've just seen WTI breaking below $70 a barrel. Right, what does Greg Williamson think? He's head of strategy at Pluribus Labs and joins us now. Greg, really nice to see you. You've been hearing me spouting on as well. What are your thoughts about what we're getting uh, from the Federal Reserve today? Uh, Well, Steve, I can't disagree with any of your comments with regard to markets or interest rates, but the Federal Reserve... Uh, has a challenge today. This is the first meeting since its November meeting in which it changed its shift from a 2% inflation focus to uh, trying to restrain higher inflation. It's also the first meeting since Chairman Powell, in speaking to Congress, uh, moved away from the term transitory inflation. Uh, The Fed has a very tight line to to walk today. It needs to convince the markets that it's earnest in fighting inflation, but it can't confuse or disrupt the market so much with inflation concerns that it leads the economy or the markets down. So I think the Fed does two things today, potentially a third. The first thing that it does is it recommits to fighting inflation. The second thing that it does is it continues the taper and probably likely increases the bond taper by another $15 billion. Um, If it does that for every meeting from now to the middle of the year, it will be done with bond tapering by June, which is when the Fed plots, the dot plots, as you indicated, say that rate hikes might increase. And then the third thing that could happen today is that the Fed changes the the basic language in the communication um, to decrease the focus on a 2% inflation target and just say that 2% is a long-term target and that the Fed will use all the tools in its a toolkit to fight both inflation and deflation going forward. Greg, great analysis. Um, what should our viewers do if they're in this market? I presume they're long. Most of them are long. What should they be doing uh, going into this Fed meeting? Um, you know, the, I think the Fed meeting is important, but it's clearly not the only thing that's driving the market, Steve. Uh, the Omicron variant, as you indicated, has certainly been a focus in the market. Uh, Fed and other central bank activity are focuses of the market. There are over 60 central banks meeting this week. 
Um, supply chain issues are still uh, uh, forefront in the marketplace, particularly around the holidays. Um, not being discussed much internationally, but certainly a great uh, a heightened focus in the U.S. is the U.S. midterm elections in 2022 and whether the Democrats will be able to maintain control. Our early indications are that in the House and the Senate, they will not. But I think there are two other big things that have to be focused on. First, as you indicated, the markets are up almost 25% in the U.S. this year. There are year-end portfolio rebalancing taking place where investors are selling equities uh, either to rebalance their portfolio if they're a tax-exempt investor or to harvest uh, you know, gains if they're taxable investors. And the reason they might want to harvest gains is the pending Build Back Better legislation, the $2.5 trillion uh, piece of legislation that uh, the Congress wants to try to get passed by the end of this year. If that passes, it raises tax rates on individuals and corporations next year. Thus, there is a big impetus to avoid that risk and to sell securities that have done well uh, here at the end of November or at the end of December. Greg, it's Karen jumping in. Uh, important point there. Yeah, I did that to Karen's microphone, so she's uh, she can't get involved at the moment. She's listening to me, but she can't get involved. Uh, Greg, um, let me pick up on the political side of things as well. This looks eerily familiar to the. Uh, the early part of the first Obama uh, period where he controlled um, Congress and then he couldn't control after the midterms as well uh, and uh, basically managed to get very little through after that as well. Is that what we're saying, that basically if the Democrats want to get anything done, they've got to get on with it, they've got to get on um, the, the squad and get Manchin, get them on the same page, uh, and then thereafter, after the midterms, in just under a year's time, uh, it's all off really in terms of what they can get done? Well, certainly that is one interpretation, Steve, but uh, note that with regard to the Build Back Better program, uh, the Democrats and the Republicans have already passed the original $1.5 trillion infrastructure program. And even though the Democrats wanted to have both of those programs linked together, uh, ultimately they decided to separate them. The Democrats already had, the conservative Democrats or the more moderate Democrats already have their victory uh, in that the $1.5 trillion program has passed. There really is no incentive for them to pass the two to two and a half trillion dollar program going into the midterm elections. So I think it's going to be very difficult for the progressive side and the conservative side to come together in the Democrat Party and support the Build Back Better program. Certainly, I don't think there are many Republicans who are going to cross the, uh, the aisle to support that one either. Great. So, yes, it, it will likely be a difficult passage. Uh, and. Uh, will lead to less activity being done, which the markets in the U.S. have always seemed to uh, take solace in and have done better when we've had a split uh, presidency, House and Senate. Greg, let's just tie together the inflation story and the political story. And I think you've been doing that beautifully already, by the way. Are the Democrat voters, the ones in the middle, the, the kind of the, the swaying voters as well, are they blaming the Democrats for this burst of inflation we're seeing? We're seeing a little bit of copy on this side of the Atlantic as well that's saying that might be the case and that's going to punish Mr. Biden, uh, Kamala Harris and, and the ratings more generally of the administration. You know, interestingly, the, the 45 percent of the United States that are heavily Democrat don't blame the Democrats. The 45 percent that are heavily Republican do blame the Democrats. And the 10 percent in the middle seem to be blaming the Democrats as well. Um, but I think that this is going to be a heightened issue going into the election because less than a year ago, inflation in the U.S. was struggling to get to 2 percent. It was 1.8 percent when 
uh, Mr. Biden took over as president and we're at 6.8% now, it's clearly a Democrat issue that they're going to have to live with and somehow convince voters that uh, it's not important. By saying that uh, passing the Build Back Better plan, uh, which some Dems are currently saying will actually reduce inflation in the U.S. is going to be a very, very tough sell to the electorate. I notice your final point on your note. I liked all of it until you got to risk to consider. You've kind of thrown the kitchen sink at this one, Greg. China economic, political, geopolitical activity, Russia geopolitical, Iran nuclear, Middle East, Turkey economy, U.S. midterm. Anything else you're worried about? Uh, you know, the, the the black swans, the non-events, if there was something that was really worried about, it would be another variant to um, uh, the COVID-19 basic virus and to uh, Delta Omicron. I think Omicron is actually a great uh, step forward in terms of the fight on COVID. It is a, um, a, a, a higher spreading, but a less uh, volatile, less harmful uh, version of COVID. And if COVID turns into something that's much more similar to a seasonal flu, the world will breathe a sigh of relief. But this COVID virus is, and an Omicron variant is very difficult to predict. Uh, if the virus becomes more transmittable and becomes more lethal or impactful and puts people in the hospitals, then it will be a tremendous worry around the globe. Right now, I think Omicron is a concern, uh, but as uh, it moves through the population that's unvaccinated and even unfortunately some of those that are vaccinated and we don't see as much hospitalization or death um, uh, i think the economies around the globe will start to move forward again much more quickly than they uh, seem to be worried about right now you're a good man greg and thanks for talking to us just after midnight in chicago it's a real pleasure speaking to you this year looking forward to it next year i'm going to start doing my holiday uh, best wishes because i think we're almost in the christmas period so greg have a good one mate uh, and, and to you and your viewers as well. Thank you, Steve. Happy holidays, Karen. Thank you very much indeed. I, unfortunately, we have got Karen back, so I can't hog the entire show. Uh, Greg Williamson, head of strategy at Pluribus Labs. And just to say, for more on CNBC's interview with the Bank of America's CEO, Brian Moynihan, and a breakdown of what we can expect from Jay Powell later today, head online to CNBC.com. Talking of breakdowns, I think she's unbroken down. Good morning, Karen. I'm back, Steve. I'm just disappointed I didn't get to speak to Greg, but uh, no doubt we'll take that offline on email. <laughs> Let's push on and take a look at uh, what is uh, happening stateside as U.S. Congress has voted to raise the debt limit by $2.5 trillion by 2023, taking the total to $31.4 trillion. The vote comes just ahead of a mid-December deadline when Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warned the government could face a catastrophic and historic default. Lawmakers voted along party lines after Republicans insisted they would not participate in the one-time measures meant to pay for President Biden's spending plans. The bill now goes to the White House to be signed into law. The IMF has called on the Bank of England to take action to curb inflation during its policy meeting tomorrow. The fund says inflation in Britain will only return to its 2% target by 2024, calling on the central bank to raise interest rates. The IMF warned the BOE that it is, quote, important to avoid inaction bias. Uh, but uh, incredible comments, really, highly charged ahead of what is a live decision by the Bank of England. Uh, we will get into that a little bit later on, but also coming up on the show, curbs, COVID curbs take their toll on Chinese consumption. We'll bring you the latest data from the world's second largest economy right after the break.
Yeah, plus there's a chance that Karen's going to get a word in edgeways on the podcast, but I'll do my best. Uh, Scorebox podcast uh, uh, for more on what is a pivotal week for policy. Check it out on CNBC.com. And after the break, I can tell you that Karen will be a large part of that podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. All right, let's take a look at these Asian markets. And do you know what? They are graceful as a swan for the most part. There's not a lot going on, is there? I mean, given everything that is going on in the world, whether you're talking about policy, as we were talking with Greg Williamson there, or whether you're talking about the data, which is just enormous at the moment, it's actually quite glacial. The ASX got a bit of weakness, down 0.7. But that aside, really very calm stuff as well, despite those big numbers out of China, big trade numbers, singles day, big stuff, and then really underwhelming, quite soggy, I would say, retail sales up 3.9%. We'll get Sam on that in a few moments' time. Let's have a look at the opening calls for these European markets. And again, it's kind of glacial. We lost a bit of ground yesterday. The FTSE lost uh, 0.2 of a percent. We're down five out of five sessions. But in those five sessions, we've only really lost about 80, 90 points from where we were. As Cameron was telling you last week, we're about 7,300. DAX is down five out of five, lost a percent yesterday. But again, really moderate stuff compared to some of the volatility we've seen previously. Right, Karen Cho, good morning again. Are you ever still? I believe I am, Steve. Let's hope so. I'll continue on anyway, just in case. American investors will be banned from investing in another eight Chinese companies, including DJI, that is the world's largest manufacturer of commercial drones. That's according to the Financial Times. Now, the U.S. Treasury is expected to add these groups to its blacklist of, quote, Chinese military industrial complex companies due to their alleged involvement in human rights abuses. Well, to that data and Chinese industrial output data has beaten expectations, but retailers paid the price for new COVID curbs, with sales missing forecasts and growth slowing since October. The data shows continuing headwinds for the world's second largest economy, even after multiple interventions from the PBOC this year. Well, let's get out to Sam for more. Sam, some of this data tells us what's happened in recent weeks, but we also know that the first cases of Omicron have arrived in China. So what can we expect down the track? Mm. Yes, yeah, certainly. Good morning to you, Karen. The big takeaway is, uh, was that consumption and the investment side does remain weak. And economists have certainly said that this set of numbers that we got today does confirm now that we do need to see more easing in China in order, order to stabilise growth. Of course, as you mentioned, we did see that triple R cut taking effect today. The second one we've seen all year as policymakers are uh, focusing now on stability. This word was used 25 times in their economic work conference uh, just last week. But Uh, Economists that we've been speaking to this morning have certainly pointed out now uh, that really, you know, giving people more money, uh, lowering rates uh, is, uh, you know, all well and good, but not if people can't go out because of the COVID restrictions. And so they say that policymakers perhaps need to take a more holistic approach now away from the traditional macro policies when it comes to the fiscal and monetary side of things. So that is yet to be seen moving forward, particularly in the face uh, of the concerns around COVID now that we are hearing reports of Omicron 
Omicron being present over in China. But in terms of those numbers today, as I say, consumption taking a hit as those retailers really struggled uh, with the uncertain path of the virus and the fear factor around that, particularly at the smaller firms. Uh, we do know, of course, China is continuing to see this flare up in cases uh, that has led to restrictions because of Beijing's very strict uh, zero COVID approach. And that has impacted areas like catering, which fell some 3% uh, year on year. And so uh, really with the uncertain path of the virus now, the big question is how bumpy that, that road will be in terms of that structural transition now uh, that authorities are looking for, for uh, a more consumption-led uh, recovery uh, towards an economy. So uh, certainly we did see the industrial side of things uh, looking more of a bright spot. And that did come, of course, as we did see an alleviation of the energy crunch and also those high raw material costs. The big question is how long will that last now that we are also seeing uh, some production being curbed in Zhejiang province, which is a big manufacturing and export hub as part of these efforts to curb the spread of COVID there. So the COVID risk remains real for the manufacturing side of things as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.